Anti-Semitism did not end with the Nazis. For the younger ones here, you might ask, what is anti-Semitism? Well, it means opposition to or hatred of the Jews or Israel as a nation. Anti-Semitism, this hatred of the Jews, has been a problem for many, many years. And in fact, it's getting worse in the U.S. In the last six years, the number of hate crimes against the Jews in the USA has tripled, tripled in six years. Let me give you some other stats. In the last year, 24% of American Jews were the targets of anti-Semitic incidents. That's one in four. 57% of all religiously motivated hate crimes were against Jews. They're only 2% of the population, but 57% of all religious hate crimes targeted the Jews. There's been a 61% in violent incidents at Jewish institutions. So, you can see anti-Semitism is still alive and well, if we can put it like that. Many groups have been set up over the years to uh, try and oppose this, identify this, highlight this, uh, get legislation in place to try and prevent it. And uh, Christians should be at the forefront of the opposition to hate against the Jews, but also we should be at the forefront of loving the Jews. You might ask, why? Why would I say that? That's the question we want to look at this evening. Why should Christians love the Jews? And you might say, well, yeah, okay, we love the Jews just as we try and love Muslims and Hindus and anyone else, but no, there's a specific focus in the Bible on the Jews, on Israel, on the Christian's relationship to God's ancient people. And we want to look at that this evening. Before we do, I want to just remind you, we've been working our way through Romans 9 through 11, which deal with the the question, has God broken His promises? Because the, the Gentile believers, the Roman believers who didn't have a Jewish background in the whole, they started reading the Old Testament, and they started seeing God's many promises to Israel. And yet, as far as they could see, the vast majority of Israel had been in unbelief. They had rejected the gospel. And so, they're they're scratching their heads and saying, well, if God's promises to His ancient people Israel have been broken, how can we be sure that He'll keep His promises to us, His New Testament people? God makes many promises in baptism. How can we be sure that the promises made in baptism will be kept? If we look back and see that the nation He gave multiple promises to are rejected and are rejecting the gospel. So, we looked first of all at Romans 9, 1 through 5, and it teaches us how Israel's rejection of the gospel is painful both to Paul and to God. And then Romans 9, 6 through 33, looked at the remnant. 
And there, Paul's explaining how, yes, the majority of Israel have rejected the gospel, but there's always been a remnant in the Old Testament and the New Testament, a small number who have been believers, who have held on to true faith. So their rejection of the gospel isn't total. There's a remnant. Romans 10, the last time we saw Israel's rejection of the gospel is nobody's fault but their own. They are responsible, not God. The people shouldn't be pointing the finger at God and saying, it's your fault. And then this evening, wondrously, gloriously, I want to show you from Romans chapter 11 that we have something amazing to look forward to, and that is the return of the Jews. That Israel's rejection of the gospel on the whole at the moment is not forever. So, why should Christians love the Jews? Here's the first answer. Jewish rejection is a blessing to the Gentiles. Israel's rejection of God and God's subsequent rejection of them has turned to be a blessing to the Gentiles. And Paul brings that before us in chapter 11 here and verses 1 through 12. So, we're going to look first at Jewish rejection, then at Gentile blessing. So, look at verse 1 of chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected His people? Remember in the last chapter, it's been all about how Israel rejected the gospel, rejected salvation, and how they're responsible for that. Is that it? Is that full stop, the end? That's what Paul's asking. Is, is this it? God's rejected His people? He answers, by no means. No, never. Impossible. Don't, don't even begin to think that. And he proves this by pointing to himself and then pointing to the people who believed in Elijah's day. So he says, first of all, I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not, therefore, rejected wholesale in total his people whom he foreknew. Look at me, he's saying. I'm a Jew, and I'm saved. And then he says, do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? And he tells of the time when Elijah thought he was the only believer left in the world. And God says to him, no, 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 Elijah. At the present time, in your time, I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And then he says, and now, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Not because they're Jews, not because of what they've done or not done, but by grace, God is still choosing a remnant through the years. So, He has justly rejected the majority, but He has graciously saved a minority in the past in Paul's present, and to this day, there are still Jews being brought to faith in Jesus. 
So this is Jewish rejection, verses 1 through 10, and verses 7, 8, 9, and 10 describe Israel's hardening. But this terrible evil of Israel's rejection of the gospel, God has turned for good. Look at verse 11. So I ask, so here's the second question. Did they, the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? Is this, is this it? Is, did God just, okay, in my plan, they're going to stumble, and the end result will be they will lie fallen. That's it. They're just finished with. Is that God's purpose? Is that God's aim? No, he says, by no means. Another very vivid, uh, determined denial. As in verse 1, he says, by no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that one of the problems with the Jews was that they became very nationalistic, very proud, very self-centered. We are the people, and they looked down on the Gentiles instead of, as God intended them to be, a channel of blessing through the world, that in Abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed no, they became inward-looking. They kept the message to themselves. They didn't want anything to do with heathen nations, as Jonah showed as a prime example. But that was widespread in Israel. So that was an obstruction to the gospel, to the Gentiles. And also, the Jews, of course, multiplied commands and traditions and rituals which obscured the gospel. And so, here God says, I need to get the gospel out to the Gentiles. The Jews are now an obstacle to it. Therefore, they fall, and out of that, they get out of the way. They stop obstructing, and the gospel goes out to the Gentile world. Their trespass, the Jews' sin, means riches to the Gentiles. You see it again in verse 12. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles. So, you see how we can say Jewish rejection is a blessing to the Gentiles. And therefore, let's trust God to bring good out of evil. This was one of the greatest evils ever, that God's own people would reject Him. And yet, look at the good that He brought out of it. We're proof, as the whole Christian church is today. So, let's trust God. When evil is happening, He can bring the greatest good out of the greatest evil. But, it doesn't end there. Jewish rejection, yes, is a blessing to the Gentiles. And yes, God brings the greatest good out of the greatest evil. But Paul goes further, and he tells us this, Gentile redemption 
is a blessing to the Jews. So the Jews' sin brings salvation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles' salvation, though, is going to be a blessing to the Jews. And we see that in verses 13, sorry, verse 11 through 24. So let's start again. Gentile redemption, then Jewish blessing. Look at verse 11 again. Rather, through the Jews' trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And he underlines this also in verse 14. Let's read verse 13. I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. What's Paul saying here? He's saying this, Gentiles, my hope and God's plan for your salvation is that the Jews will look at what you have. They will see how blessed you are, and they'll want it for themselves. They'll be jealous for your spiritual blessings. In fact, he says, I'm going to magnify my ministry to the Gentiles. I'm going to make it so clear to the Jews that this is a wonderful ministry not, not, to, not to make them feel bad, but to make them again feel jealous. Oh, I wish, I wish Paul was our minister. He's got such a message. And so here, what's envisaged is God's people living in such a way, believing in such a way, witnessing in such a way, that the Jews would look on and their eyes would be open. They would see what they had lost. They would see what they had rejected. See what the Gentiles had gained. And say, well, can we get some of this? Can we get a share? Look at verse 15. If their rejection means the reconciliation of the world... What will their acceptance mean? In other words, the chronology goes something like this. God chose Israel. Israel rejected God, but there's a time of acceptance coming when Israel will be accepted again. And this is how? Through jealousy of the Gentiles. And he, he uses two illustrations to help us understand how this can be. The first one is a loaf of bread. We see it in verse 16. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. That's the first illustration. He's looking back to the Old Testament. He's seeing that ceremony of first fruits where people would take a, a little of the loaf and offer it to God as a token of the whole lump being God's. 
The whole lump was God's, but just a small bit was given to God as, as an expression of that. And, and God is saying, well, if that first fruits is holy, then is the whole lump. And He's looking back at the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's looking back at Israel, chosen as a people at, at Sinai. And He's saying, that's, that's the lump. That's the little token. And, and if that's holy, if that was separated to God, then eventually the whole lump will be God's. That's one illustration. Secondly, he has an illustration of an olive tree. So, let's turn and look at verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off, that's the Jews, and you Gentiles, though a wild olive shoot, you didn't belong to this plant originally, you're just wild, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Again, Paul's looking back at the Old Testament, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, becoming his people at Sinai, and he's saying, that's the root of this olive tree. And branches came out of this olive tree. Israel as a nation as it multiplied, but they were cut off through unbelief. They didn't, they didn't stay, as it were, in this root because they rejected all the nourishment that came through this root. And instead, as we see in this picture of grafting God looks around the world, and He sees the Gentiles as wild branches, and He picks them up, and He binds them to the original root. He grafts them in so that they become part of God's olive tree. We're not naturally in it, but supernaturally grafted in. So, God is here again underlining he, He's not fully and forever cut off His people. He still views them as His lump of dough, His bread, and He still views them as His olive tree. And He, and he turns to the Gentiles and He says, now, I want you to remember, just because you're now grafted in to this olive tree, it doesn't mean that you too couldn't be cut off. Let's, let's read on here a bit. He says in verse 18, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Don't look at the Jews and look down on them and despise them and demean them. No, they were the original branches. And, and, and you're building on a Jewish tradition on all that God taught Israel. Verse 19, then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. He's saying, you join to this olive tree through faith. Stand fast. through faith, 
So do not become proud, but fear. Don't fall into the same trap as the Jews. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, God's kindness to you provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. But then, look at this. And even they, the Jews, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. And that's what he's doing. If you follow Jewish missions, many of them here in the United States, many in the UK, especially in areas with lots of Jewish people, missions in Israel itself, all all over the world, Australia as well, there are missions, Christian missions to Jewish people. And and there are beautiful testimonies, you can find them online, of, of Jews who were, as here, cut off and yet are being grafted back in again by faith in Jesus. So, God's God's underlining, He's not totally forgotten His people. He has not failed in His promises to save His ancient people. He's saying to the Gentiles, don't be proud, but He's also saying to the Jews, don't despair. Yes, it's true, your fathers and mothers, they rejected me, and they were cut off, and now you're lying like dead branches in the world, but I can take the deadest of branches, and I can bind you so that you grow back in and become one of my branches again. It's a beautiful hope, a beautiful vision. And God is saying this in summary, Spiritual jealousy is good, but spiritual pride is bad. Let's let's have all the spiritual jealousy we can get, not just of Jews to Gentiles, but of unbelieving Gentiles or believing Gentiles, you and me, that we would so live, so witness, so be in this world that people look at us and say, I want that. I want to be like them. That's holy jealousy, spiritual jealousy. Spiritual pride, no room for that, none at all, whether Jew or Gentile. So, we've seen the Jews have blessed the Gentiles. Jewish rejection allowed the gospel to go to the Gentiles. Then, Gentile redemption is bringing blessing to the Jews as they see what Christians have and want it. Is that the end? I mean, that, that, that's great, isn't it? There's this remnant, there's this minority that continues to be saved, grafted back in. It's not the end, because Jewish restoration is a blessing to the Gentiles. You say, Jewish restoration? You mean, 
it's not just the Jews are, are sort of being added, one here, one there, there's still a remnant being saved, but, but that there's something much bigger and better ahead than just that odd salvation of a Jew here and there. Yes, that's exactly what Paul is saying. God is going to keep His promises by adding Jews throughout the years, but there's a time coming when He is going to restore, bring back a vast number of Jews into the Christian church. How do we see that here? Well, look at verses 26 and, sorry, verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, Gentiles, lest you think, okay, I've, I've got it all, I understand, you know, we're, we're the people and Jews are coming in. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. There's something yet hidden to be revealed. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. So, this hardening is partial, not total, and it's temporary, not permanent. Do you see that? He's, he's looking forward to a time when the, the Gentiles as a whole, the, the, a great number of Gentiles called a fullness. It doesn't mean every single Gentile that will ever be saved, but in terms of looking at the whole of history, there, if we look at the number of Gentiles saved at this moment in the future, it will look like a fullness. And, and when that great number of Gentiles has come in, this partial hardening of the Jews will be over. As he says in verse 25, verse 26, sorry, and in this way all Israel will be saved. Again, Paul uses all in different ways. Usually, it doesn't mean every single person, but it means a vast number, a great majority. He's looking ahead and saying, when, when the Gentile salvation is coming to an end in this period of history, then the, the Jews will come into faith. Their hardening will be over. They'll be softened. And so much so that people will look at all the Jews coming to Christ in, in America, in Australia, in the UK, in Israel itself. And they'll say, all Israel is being saved. And again, it's hinted at earlier on in the chapter. You look, for example, at verse 12. If their trespass means riches for the world, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion be? See what he's saying? Think of the scale of blessing to the Gentiles that came from Jewish rejection. In the same way, to the same degree, on the same scale, will be the return of the Jews. As verse 15 puts it, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? He 
He's looking forward to a time when so many Jews are coming in that the whole church, Jew and Gentile, will, it'll be like a resurrection. It'll be like we've never lived. It'll be as if we're rising from the dead. Such will this glorious infusion of life be. And this Jewish acceptance will result in great blessing to the Gentiles. That's why we say Jewish restoration is a blessing to the Gentiles. It's like this dam full of blessing, and there's a trickle coming out, the odd Jew here and there, coming out of a valve, a faucet. But one day that dam is going to burst, and it's going to flood the church, it's going to flood the world, and we are going to see salvation on a scale that we cannot begin to comprehend, probably accompanied with a ton of persecution. Because if there's one thing that will make people hate Christians more, it's when the Jews join with them. But regardless of the persecution, we are looking at massive blessing. Therefore, let's love the Jews. Let's love the Jews. Yes, they're enemies at the moment, as Paul says in verse 30 and following. They're enemies, but they'll become our friends. So, let's love them by praying for them, by hoping for their salvation, by witnessing to them, by looking forward to this great prospect. Let's love God's purpose here. As He puts it here, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That's what Paul's trying to prove in chapters 9 through 11. He's saying, God, break His promises? Never. His gifts and calling are without repentance. They are going to be fulfilled yet in the future. So, we can say this, Jewish love comes from Jesus' love. The Jews will love one day. They will love God when they love Jesus. And Jesus' love for them will result in them loving Him. There's a lovely verse or two in one of the Old Testament prophets that I just have to read to you. There's some of the most moving verses in the whole of the Bible. Zechariah chapter 12, I think it is. Yeah, at the end of chapter 12, it's speaking of Israel. It says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they pierced, they shall mourn for him as they've mourned for an only child. When the Jews get this, they are going to be brokenhearted. They're going to be cut to the core when they see the one. They pierce their own Messiah. But then, chapter 13 of Zechariah, on that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Great pain and great joy great sin, and a great salvation. So, why should Christians love the Jews? 
Our answer is this, love the Jews because our salvation is bound up with them and will bless them. Do you see that? And that's why Paul concludes this amazing chapter, these amazing chapters with that great doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. As Paul looks at this amazing plan of redemption for Jew and Gentile, he, it blows his mind. Everything comes loose. He's just like, I don't know what to say. Oh, the depth. We're looking into a chasm of wisdom and mercy and grace here. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable are His ways. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory. And if this plan doesn't put that in your heart, there's something wrong, isn't there? We can see the size and the scale of God's plan and not just fall in wonder and worship. What will amaze us? What will move us? Let's pray. Oh, the depth of your riches and wisdom and knowledge. How unsearchable are your judgments. How inscrutable are your ways. For from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be glory forever. Amen.